2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast. Probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and I'm still here in Kyoto. If you listened to the last episode, I've been on a, working on a bar that I built in Kyoto that's also just been running to the ground and it's shut now. <laughs> uh, but I am joined with Charlotte in Japan today.
3: Back for more. How are you getting on? Good. Yeah, it's our last day in Kyoto. I don't want to leave, really. I think we had a good time this time.
2: Yeah, we uh, yesterday we walked from Kiyomizudera Temple down to the uh, Philosopher's Path.
3: That was a really long walk. I didn't realized it was about an hour from kiyomizu Mm. but it was worth it It, it's really pretty and unfortunately there's no sakura yet but during the spring i can imagine that's probably one of the coolest places in kyoto so if you do manage to come down here for sakura season check Mm. out philosopher's path walk what's it called
2: well you can call it both yeah Yeah, really cool more of a path and a walk isn't it but uh, yeah it's been a good time in kyoto one thing i didn't talk about in the last episode is as well as doing the bar i also did a video with uh, alex shapiro from uh, tokyo portfolio black ship real estate and we went to uh, a, a match here uh, basically a, a good match here and a bad match here. And the other day you said you wanted to buy one, right? Yeah, we were
3: talking to people that do real estate around here, and there's so many empty Machia for sale. Uh, If you get one on the outskirts of Kyoto, you can get one for a pretty decent price, I heard.
2: Some people don't know what Machia is. Machia is kind of like a traditional Kyoto wooden townhouse, right? Yeah. And um, they're disappearing very quickly en masse. Several hundred are lost every single year. And I did a documentary uh, about two or three years ago in Kyoto. We went and had a look around them and um, I fell in love with them. I I never really stayed in one before uh, until 2020, I think it was. And they're just the most incredible places. They're so calm and relaxing because everything's made of wooden materials. And they have a lot of good old traditional woodwork. It's a very relaxing environment. Everything's got a sort of natural uh, building. Every, Everything's kind of natural, right? Because it's made of wood. The floor's made of tatami. Uh, you've got the paper sliding doors. Like everything about it just feels very relaxing.
3: Yeah, it's like the equivalent of a, a British cottage, I would say. The Japanese equivalent of a cozy British cottage. Mm,
2: mm. But don't... Renovate one. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, so I think it's, you know, to renovate a Kyoto townhouse would be a lot of fun. But I think the risks involved and the cost involved, it just makes it not a very like an appetizing prospect. Like we went and had a look around this one mm-hmm. that had been renovated and uh, it was it was a street and there were three Machia townhouses and they'd cost about I think $500,000 to renovate three three or four of them right Um, that
3: was the renovation cost yeah
2: they were nice ones right but then we looked at a really just shit townhouse that was like a horror film it was a bit like The Grudge like you know the building oh god yeah The fucking Grudge oh god and uh, from the outside it didn't look too bad but you opened the door went in and it was just the most decrepit nightmarish building I've ever set foot in The tatami mats were torn. The the, the walls were sort of crooked at an angle. Oh, Um, that
3: sounds really expensive to fix. I'm assuming fixing up a machia would just be a lot more expensive than a typical house. Mm. We spent 50 grand, about 50 grand American, uh, renovating the entire inside of the house we got in Shibuya. So... In my eyes, it's quite affordable to renovate Mm. in Japan, uh, comparing with Canadian prices.
2: But it's not a townhouse.
3: But yeah, I can imagine the woods and the tatami and just all the specific, like traditional Japanese things you would need for a machia would just be wild. Well, this one,
2: yeah, this one was built, I think, in 1923. Wow. And it was in the 1930s that they basically stopped building these official machia or classed uh, Kyoto townhouses. And uh, it had this really horrific 1960s or 70s refit.
3: Oh, no. Which looked
2: awful. Um, <laughs> but it was just like a horror movie. I don't know what was going on in there. There was like an overturned table in one of the rooms. What? That looked like the uh, table-flipping arcade game. Chabadai guys. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just horrible. <laughs> and, All right. Uh, well, there go those plans. Well, I think, I, and I feel like in the last time I came here and did the video, I almost villainized the the Kyoto locals for not saving the townhouses, right? Um, but now I'm a lot more... It is sad to
3: see them go, but yeah, I can see why.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I think by the year 2050, it was going to be said that there was going to be none left of the original ones. And I think that's a real shame. But now I understand and I sympathize with the locals who sort of tasked with looking after these places. Why have a townhouse when you can knock it down uh, and build a, a much better house that's got insulation, that isn't going to fall down, that doesn't need all these elaborate sort of woodwork structure to it, you know, it doesn't make much sense. I think we came with six reasons, five or six reasons, not to buy a Kyoto townhouse. Number one was insulation. They're not well insulated mm. at all.
3: And you need that nowadays. Kyoto was snowing a couple of weeks ago. It's just mm. getting colder and colder here. and so
2: uh, Yeah, it's cold and number two was the, the cost of renovating and maintenance as well, just yeah. overall as we discussed. Number three is neighbours. Uh, a lot of the Kyoto townhouses are sort of terrace houses, so they're connected to the, you know your neighbours and right. the walls are really like paper. While we were in there filming, I could hear someone banging and doing something next door the whole time. Oh, um, uh Structural problems number four. Like in this one, we went in and the doors for the the, the sort of sitting room downstairs, whatever, that was sort of at an angle, uh, uh, and that is not something you can fix. And I easily. can't imma-
3: imagine it being very earthquake safe either.
2: No. And that was, yeah, that's that's point number five. (laughs) If there's an earthquake, I think it'll cause absolute chaos. And uh, point number six was just rebuilding issues. If you build, if you sort of buy it, knock it down, you might not be able to rebuild it. Um, The land, there's a rule where you can't necessarily build on it once you've knocked it down.
3: Japan has lots of rules like
2: that. And these townhouses are often quite narrow um, and built in very awkward manners. So yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of money for a lot of stress, to be honest. So I don't know if I can recommend it. As, as fun as it would be. I think just rec- I just think just renovating a normal Japanese townhouse would be better. Like a regular house. Yeah. Know, Kyoto, yeah. Machia. Yeah. Makes sense. But we've got a story this week from Pi. It's only known Pi. as Pi in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, howdy ho. Pi from Vancouver here. Uh, oh, Vancouver, Washington. Oh, not what the Canadian Vancouver. What's
3: that? I don't know.
2: The lesser known between uh, <laughs> and the Canadian th- than the Canadian counterpart. I was fortunate enough to be able to enrol in an exchange program and visit Japan, partaking in an authentic Japanese experience, full of viewing fireflies, singing karaoke, lighting fireworks, and experiencing experiencing uh, Natsuburi uh, Summer Festival. While my knowledge of Japanese was limited to that of what I'd learned in anime and through my fellow exchange students and hosts, I was able to get by except for two instances. The first instance was at a buffet uh, in Takachi in Taki... taki Takicho. Never heard of it. My host parents were kind enough to take time to show my host sister and me around town for lunch one day. The restaurant we went to was Hordai all-you-can-eat buffet style, stacking up your plate with whatever you wanted. And as we were going up to the cashier to pay, I had somehow managed to tilt my tray in such a way that all the food I'd plated spectacularly dropped to the ground. I had little knowledge of Japanese at the time, but found myself profusely apologising. Sweet-masem. The second instance was during my time in hoso where my second host family... Uh, My host sister and I were preparing for Omiyage for the family souvenirs. Uh, Before we had finished our preparations, I had to use the bathroom and suddenly bumped into the oldest brother of our family, a few years older than me, an incredible uh, Ikemen, hot guy, going to take (laughs) what I was assuming was an evening bath. he had forgotten his pants and was just wearing his shirt and boxers, to which I exclaimed, Gomenasai, sorry. I still feel as though I'd mixed up these two phrases where the former and latter should have been swapped. It still haunts me to this day. Could you clarify the difference between the two phrases and the situations that they might be applicable to. Thank you. Cheers from Vancouver, Washington. Pie or Pierre. Sure, it's Pierre. It can't be pie. Well,
3: maybe they just really like pie. It could be a, nick- <laughs> a nickname.
2: Maybe that is it. I like it. it. Um, Honestly, the,
3: the way you use Japanese works fine in both those situations. No issues at all. Saying sumimasen for dropping your food is totally cool. You can use that when you accidentally do something wrong. Um, the gomen nasai also makes sense as well. Yeah. You can really use them interchangeably. Um, when you say Sima you're excusing yourself for doing something, right? And Gomen Asai is actually saying, I'm sorry. So hmm. you could use them both. You could use either.
2: I feel like Gomen Asai is Gomen is stronger it as is. well.
3: Yeah, because it's the actual apology, whereas Sima was is like, ah, oh, excuse me.
2: I'd say nine times out of ten Sima more... Commonly spoken. True. You um, very
3: rarely hear gomen nasai unless you've done something horribly wrong.
2: Yeah. And then if you hear like uh, service staff apologize, they use polite Japanese like Moshiwake gozaimasen. Mm. Yeah. You hear that as one as well. Um, news this week. What's going on in Japan? Well, not that story. Uh, takoyaki stand. Do you like takoyaki? I do. Yeah,
3: yeah. I've grown to like it over the years. I used to pick out the taco.
2: Oh, no, no, you can't do uh, that. Can just eat the yaki. <laughs> oh, just the
3: batter. <laughs> I, I can eat it now. <laughs>
2: I mean, takoyaki is amazing. Fried octopus balls. Also, they're very hot. Be careful when you eat them. Every you, time they're too hot. Yeah, you bite into it, and then the, the gooey interior just melts out, burns yeah. your mouth off. Um, but they're very good. They're very good. And the takoyaki stand in Nagoya sold side orders, but not just any side orders, cocaine side orders. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Like you don't really think of drugs in Japan. You much.
3: don't, but I think they're a lot more prevalent than people seem yeah. to think. I've learned yeah. over the years that people that I know have gotten into drugs, and mm. I was just surprised that they were available here at all because I had no idea.
2: Yeah, they, they are. They are definitely more prevalent in the nightlife districts like uh, Roppongi yeah. and in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so this. Little stands, right? N- n- the uh, According to the Nagoya police, a certain takoyaki stand in the city offered something other than octopus balls. It wasn't listed on the menu, but if you knew how to ask for it, you could get your takoyaki <laughs> with a side of cocaine. Investigators say that uh, Masamichi Shimazu, the 29-year-old o- owner of the takoyaki stand, uh, had a system by which customers could purchase the drug by speaking a... Code word when placing their order. Genius. I wonder what was the code word? They
3: don't tell you, do they? They don't tell you. Oh, I'm really curious now.
2: Why? What do you think it would be?
3: Ah. Uh, shionori. Salted seaweed. Because they often put shionori on
2: the takoyaki. Genius. Shionori on a Bang! Cocaine. Uh, The cocaine wasn't mixed into the batter, unfortunately, but was placed (laughs) in a Ziploc-style bag, which was then slipped into the larger bag, along with the takeout takoyaki. So the system apparently required that anyone who wanted cocaine also order food. How'd they Uh, get caught? On February uh, February 15th, Shimizu and his 31-year-old employee, Takao Suzuki, were found to be in possession of 0.7 grams of cocaine, which investigators believe they intended to sell and the pair were arrested on suspicion of huh. violating the law and selling lots of cocaine. Subsequent digging uncovered payments from the takoyaki stand to a management <laughs> group in Mir running unlicensed hostess clubs, oh, funneling the drug between them. Uh, clearly, yak a tie's going yeah. on there. Um, God, bloody hell.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm not overly surprised, to be honest.
2: Yeah, not surprised at all. But uh, there you go. Next time you order takoyaki, you never know what might be around the back. These takoyaki stands, though, they are often in the nightlife districts, right? True. Because they're not restaurants. You just sort of have the stand at the side of the road and you turn up and eat it. And uh, yeah, in Osaka, the Osaka video I did with Pete Donaldson, we had such a place. Though I suspect there was no <laughs> it was AKK. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment, guys. We your stories, comments and questions in the fax machine. And we're back with the fax machine. What do we got this week from our list as well? We've got Simon from Glasgow who says, Hello, Constant Chris and Perpetual Pete. Can you tell me how often, when you started to learn, uh, did you study uh, Japanese and for how long? Daily? Every other day? Weekly? And how soon did you feel comfortable speaking this wonderful language with the Japanese people? Uh, I, when I started, when I moved to Japan, it was, it was every day all day every day pretty much and um, yeah I got a lot of results early on like when you learn something you find in those first few opening days or weeks or months there's a massive learning curve and it's the most kind of exciting bit right where you learn all the key concepts so yeah you can learn so much of the basics in like three months studying daily um, what about you, Sharon?
3: Um, I learned the basics in high school, so the alphabets. I didn't learn to speak at all during my classes in high school. We didn't really have much speaking practice, which was annoying. Mm. I learned all my Japanese from making Japanese friends and talking to them. Right, I, right. I hate studying from books, so I clearly have a very different study
2: style to both of you guys. But you must have studied from a book at some point or another.
3: Uh, I studied from a book to take the N2 test. What did you study? everything everything <laughs> grammar vocab what did you, essays
2: do you, you You sort of person that makes notes as you study or
3: no <laughs> <laughs> i remember it because i right. i use it i try to use it after i learn something mm. i try to use it in a conversation with someone and i feel like that's how it sticks if i don't understand something i make sure i ask a japanese person to explain it
2: and then it sticks well if you um, learn like a weird word though like the Japanese word for equestrian.
3: Well, I'm probably never you... going to use it again, so I would just forget it because right, it's right. unnecessary. If it's something that I feel like, oh, that <laughs> could be useful one day, then I'll make sure to find a way to remember it.
2: I've got a really good tip, actually. Um, Felix PewDiePie told me when I went on a road trip the other day, and it might be useful to some of you, because it's been helping me, actually. Uh, chat GBT. You know the... GPT. GBT, or oh, whatever it's called. Stupid, famous, amazing chat thing that's going to take over the world soon. It's really good in the sense that you can ask it to give explanations and examples of Japanese words. For example, yesterday, I learned the word uh, kikake. I kind of knew it already. Kikake means uh, like a uh, reason for starting something, or motivation, right? And the other word for reason is riyu. But often, you know, they're, they're, they're subtly different. Kikake, what's your motivation? Is not the same as saying what's the reason for. But I got, chap, GP, was it? GPT. GPT. What does the GPT stand? No for? clue. Great. Fucking stupid but anyway it's uh, I, I asked it to, I asked it and um, it gave me a good description of of what that means and it also gave me five example sentences
3: yeah, it was really handy like who needs a textbook nowadays
2: yeah it's like crazy. this is really exciting um, because there's lots of Japanese words that I know but I don't really know how they're used um, and this has been a godsend for that. It's kind of like having a Japanese friend you can ask any time. Um, but often when you, when you have that situation, when you have a friend, you don't want to ask them so much because you know it's driving them mental when you ask them every single word, right? <laughs> well, they As ask you, you
3: English. I yeah. I feel it's a fair trade-off because often when I hang out with my Japanese friends, they
2: want to practice their English. So mm. I don't see an issue
3: with asking them for Japanese advice.
2: But definitely use chat, G, G, chat GPT, uh, really great stuff. High preposterous Chris, colossal Chris. Prosterous Pete, bloody hell. (laughs) Me and my friend are planning to a trip to Japan this autumn. Once possible, uh, we want to visit is... uh, One place we want to visit, sorry, is an onsen. Traditionally, you enter the bath naked, but in the Abrawn Japan videos, the team is always shown in swimming shorts. Is this for the sake of YouTube, or are you uncomfortable with the naked bathing experience? Have you ever been in an onsen the traditional way? And have you been, and would you recommend an onsen where there is only a single large bath? Uh, Thanks. Keep up the good show, guys. Laszlo. We only wear stuff in the videos just because it's a nightmare trying to blur things in post, right? No shit. God, I hate
3: this question so much. (laughs) I get this all the time. Every time I film an onsen, I'll get at least 100 people really? ranting about me wearing a towel. No shit, I'm wearing a towel. I'm not going to film it naked, right, am I? Right.
2: Yeah, so that's the main reason, Laszlo. We just that, really. Trying to blur video in 4K, never much fun. Um, and it would just
3: look stupid.
2: It would look awkward. I think the only other way I've done it in the past is if I am naked, then I will have to put the camera at an extremely low angle, right? Um, So you can't see in the bath risky, but then you can't see the bath and that kind of takes some of the magic away. So you won't be
3: allowed in an onsen with a towel or shorts unless you have special filming permission and that's why you're wearing them. So,
2: yeah. And in the case of uh, we did a video in Hokkaido recently and I filmed in a private bath and uh, yeah, I just wrapped a towel around me and that's the way to do it. Uh, hi, Chris and Pete. Hope you're doing well. I've heard many anecdotes of people never truly feeling like they belong in Japan, despite living there for many years and being like a place they call home. Do you personally share similar feelings, or do you feel like you fit in despite being such a in such a homogenous place? Uh, cheers, Akshay from London. I, I mean. It's a loaded question. What do you think, Shara?
3: What do you mean? How's it loaded? No, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't think anybody would ever answer that they fit in.
0: Mm, Because you're constantly treated
3: like a visitor. I've been here for nearly 20 years. And (laughs) every time I meet a new Japanese person, it's the same conversation. How long have you been here? When are you going home? Why are you here? That's true. Your Japanese is good. Wow, you could use chopsticks. And those aren't the kind of things you would get if, say, I moved to Europe... People wouldn't be like. Well, they might. Wow, some you can use a fork.
2: Like some countries, they do do that. I think it's worse in Japan because of the sort of politeness tied into the culture, and it's just an easy small talk, right? To comment on someone's chopsticks I don't skills, think that's but, the reason why. But I, yeah, no, it's definitely an issue. It's never really stopped me enjoying my time in Japan, though. Like, I've,
3: No, we're lucky that we don't have to work for Japanese companies. I
2: th- yeah, I think working for a Japanese company would do me in. Um, and I always tell people to avoid it where possible because friends that I, I have and know who work in Japanese companies are often overworked an awful lot and um, don't have... The work-life balance that we'd kind of expect from 21st century human resource management. But anyway, I think, um no, you'll, you'll never fit in. I mean, I look at friends like Joey, who's half Japanese, and he still has lots of hurdles. It's, it's it, it really does come to, are you raised here? And do you have Japanese blood? I think, right? Yeah. It's more of a blood thing, more of a genetic thing. Rather you could than, be
3: raised here and look ethnically not Japanese and you would have all the same issues that we do.
2: Mm, mm. But that's not to say you can't have a good life here. No. Um, I know plenty of people that do and I don't think... I don't care that I don't fit in, really. Yeah, and I've never really got to me, to be honest. I'm not trying to be Japanese. I think that's the main thing, right? When I've had this conversation with people, um, that no, you'll never really fit in. You'll never really just be a Japanese person. But that's okay. Um, You live outside certain parameters. You, you don't have to do certain things. You can get away with certain things by not being Japanese, um, especially with the etiquette and Keigo and polite language use. Mm. I don't think it'll be a problem. I think you can live here for 10, 20, 30 years and it will never really be a problem. Um, it won't get to you. What do you reckon? Long-term? Yeah, term?
3: well, it depends really. There are some people that it really bothers them having to hear those same comments every time. I feel like some people get used to it and just kind of drone it out. And other people, it really starts to wear them down. So I think it comes down to your personality a lot.
2: Yeah, Um, I read an article. How comfortable you'll feel. I remember reading an article recently about how, yeah, a lot of people just drown out the small talk in Japan. I know I do. I tone uh, out. (laughs) I have to sort of speed run the small talk. Yeah. Give
3: them like a spiel, a, a two minute spiel of why you're here.
2: Just going to the restaurant this morning, the guy was like, oh, you're, Japanese is good. Yeah. And I just sort of went there eh. and I just don't <laughs> don't really yeah. I'm polite, well, you know, I'm always polite, but like that sort of stuff I just go, "Huh," eh, and I just sort of want to get through it quickly. Mm-hmm. Same with, "Oh, I can use the chopsticks." "Oh, I've lived here a long time." Well, oh, Sendai has ton, cow tongue," you know. You get around the small talk. Um and then you get to the good stuff. Eventually, it just takes ten minutes to get there, <laughs> um, but never let that put you off coming here. That's never stood in the way of me enjoying it, and it's never stood in, it's never kind of like, led to any regret mm. living here. And I think that is the most important thing of all. Hey guys, Hannah from the UK here. I'm overweight and have a bit of a muffin top going on. Oh, what's a muffin top?
3: You and me both, Hannah.
2: Oh, what's a, what is it's a muffin? It's when like
3: above your pants is a bit oh, squishy. You've well, got a muffin f- top. I've had a
2: muffin top for like 15 <laughs> years. Um, I know that I'm more muff muffin than man at this point. <laughs> I know that Japanese tend to be on the slimmer side, will I be pointed at or commented on. Should I expect to be asked if I'm pregnant? If they do, ask, what shall I say? Thank you, Hannah, from the UK. That Did that rhyme? Yeah, it, it did. Did it? It rhymed the way I read it. <laughs> um, important thing. I mean, you know, I've talked about this in the past, how um, I got mildly bullied for putting on weight when I was a teacher. But I think that was because I was on such good terms with the teachers, my colleagues, my students in a weird way, it was kind of good because it meant they felt comfortable yeah. talking to me, right?
3: It's more something that someone who's more comfortable with you will do. Like, a stranger is not going to no, say that God, to no. you the first time meeting you
2: or something. Yeah, you're not going to walk in a bar and the guy's not going to be like, oh, very big. No, like- no, no.
3: Don't, <laughs> so don't ever worry about that. Nobody's going to like. you... <laughs> I would say it would be rare for somebody to assume you're pregnant. I don't think you have to worry about that either. And if they do ask you, just say no with a a rude, like an offended face. They should Mm. learn not to ask that. That's very inappropriate. Shout at them. But no, I don't think you have to worry about this at all. Honestly, the only no. time I've gotten these comments is from a partner, uh, a coworker or a partner's family.
2: So it's Jesus. people that I was close to. Not my family, right?
3: No, we're talking about <laughs> Japanese people. Ah, Your yes. family's great. Yeah. They take, they do
2: take um, sort of physical health very seriously here. Not so much mental health. That's fine. But the <laughs> physical side of things. Yeah. They, they, there's um, annual health checkups and whatnot, but there's a kind of pressure a sense of pressure within the culture to to uh it's not about health though it's about being part of the group
3: yeah no it's about just looking a certain way japanese people are very pressured to be thin women Mm, especially so that's true
2: yeah um so that's why. So don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, don't You're worry from, at all. I'm, it's worrying that you thought this might happen. Um, I hope I'm not responsible for my videos there. Um, we've got one from Emma, from Vancouver. Chris, uh, I'm planning Oh, it's to- Canadian Vancouver this time. Canadian Vancouver. I'm planning to go to Japan this spring and take advantage of the working holiday visa. I have a cat that I'll be taking with me and I'll be renting a short-term apartment in Kyoto. And I know it's hard to find pet-friendly apartments in Japan, especially for foreigners. Is it common for people to hide their pets from their landlord or do they usually get away with it? Emma from Vancouver, Canada. (laughs) A
3: few things to address here. I'm assuming if you're taking your cat with you this spring that you've already prepared the cat for import into Japan.
2: Make it sound like a food or a drug.
3: It's an extremely long process. It's not easy. So if you haven't done that, you won't be bringing your cat with you this spring. Uh, It takes at least six months Um, if you've done that, then yeah, as for hiding a cat in an apartment, it comes down to how quiet your cat is. If your cat meows a lot, uh, you can assume that neighbors are going to complain and you'll get in trouble. Hmm. You might be able to pass it off as, oh, my uh, alarm sound is a cat meowing or I've used that excuse
2: a couple of (laughs) times. Be creative, but. Just a lion say it was me. My boyfriend <laughs> likes to, likes my fiance to make likes to. Cat pretend noises. Pretend he's a cat <laughs> at the worst of times. <laughs> and like, it can have the owner turn up, and I'd be like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Prepare some excuses, but it all comes down to the behavior of your cat. If your cat is loud, if your cat likes to destroy things, it probably is not a good idea to hide it. And you should just try really hard to find an apartment that will accept them. They do exist, but they're hard to find. (laughs) It's not fun. Yeah.
2: Um, Got one from Nick here who says, uh, hey, guys, my hotel in Kyoto has a freezer. (sighs) Glamorous. And a microwave. Well, that's quite rare, actually. So naturally, I bought a dozen 7-Eleven gold-branded meals. Uh, Like ready meals, right? When I got back, I found that my microwave simply doesn't work. The nearest 7-Eleven to my hotel is a 10-minute walk, while a family mart is across the street from me. Do you think I can ask family mart to microwave my meals, or family mart think I cheated on them with 7-Eleven? Thanks, guys. Nick... Uh, first of all, why not go and ask the hotel staff to replace the microwave? Yeah. That's my suggestion. Yeah. Don't even leave. I'm so lazy, I wouldn't even leave the hotel, Nick. I'll just be like, oh, prick, give me my fucking microwave. I, but like, I... um. No, don't, you can't go to Family Mart.
3: No, you can't. You can't bring your own food into a combini and ask them to reheat it regardless of where you purchased it. So yeah. uh, don't do that. You could bring it back to 7-Eleven. That would also just be kind of weird. Most people only heat it up at the time of purchase.
2: Yeah, I don't think that would go down too well. Yeah. Too nice.
3: So um, What is a gold meal? The gold brand. They're really good. All the combinis have them. Famima has one as well. It's like the gold label. The, the really good microwaved
2: foods. <laughs> Gold label.
3: You know them because I've bought the pasta before from Family Mart.
2: Oh yes, they are rather Genuinely good. quite good. Keep the stories, questions, comments coming into the Abroad in Japan podcast at gmail.com. Guys, we'll be back later in the week with Mr. Donaldson. I wonder what he's been up to recently. But thank you, Sharla, as always for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we'll see you right back here, guys, the next few days to do it all over again on the Abroad in Japan podcast. Bye for now.
3: Bye.